Amen. And we're looking uh, to the word of the Lord this morning, Micah chapter 5, beginning with the first verse. It says this, Now gather thyself in troops, O daughter of troops. He hath laid siege against us. They shall smite the judge of Israel with a rod upon the cheek. But thou, Bethlehem, Ephratah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall come forth unto me that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. Therefore will he give them up until the time that she which travaileth hath brought forth, then the remnant of his brethren shall return unto the children of Israel. And he shall stand and feed in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall abide. For now shall he be great unto the ends of the earth, and this man shall be the peace. And when the Assyrian shall come into our land, when he shall tread in our palaces, then shall we raise against him seven shepherds and eight principal men. And they shall waste the land of Assyria with the sword and the land of Nimrod and the entrances thereof. Thus shall he deliver as from the Assyrians when he cometh into our land and when he treadeth within our borders. And the remnant of Jacob shall be in the midst of many people as a dew from the Lord, as the showers upon the grass that tarrieth not for man, nor waiteth for the sons of men. And I want to concentrate our attention on a few different parts of this passage of Scripture. This is a powerful, prophetic passage of Scripture. And I want to concentrate our attention on its pointing to Bethlehem as being the place where Messiah would be born. And I would like to speak to you this morning on this subject, O little town of Bethlehem, O little town of Bethlehem. Could we lift up our voices and ask God to bless his word today as it goes forth in Jesus' name. God, I thank you for your spirit, and I thank you for your goodness to us. I thank you, Lord, that you're in this place. I pray in the name of Jesus that you would minister abundantly of the grace of life. Let your word go forth in Jesus' name. And let us come together into your presence, O Lord, that we may feast at your table and receive from your hand. Let the anointing of the Holy Ghost flow freely in this house. And let every soul be touched. Let every mind be blessed. Let every heart be renewed. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. And the church said, in Jesus' name. And the church said, amen. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated in the name of the Lord. There is a word used in the Old Testament. It's found in the latter verses of the fourth chapter of 1 Samuel. The word is Ichabod. Ichabod is a foreboding word. It has actually been used in horror stories since its usage in the Bible to depict as frightening a condition as one can imagine. Ichabod. And when the word of the Lord uses it, it is used in a particular Context and in a particular uh, time of Israel's history that is worth noting. It came right on the heels of when 
Eli the priest died. His sons, Hophni and Phinehas, died. And the ark of God was taken by the Philistines, taken captive from the children of Israel. During that period of time, there may not have been a, a more despondent moment in Israel's history than that moment. It really, truly did appear as though all was lost. The high priest fell backward and died. His sons who were to succeed him, as treacherous as they were, they, they seemed to be the future for Israel, and they too died. And the ark of God was captured by the heathen and and, and there really, it, it actually couldn't get much worse than it was right then. Phineas's wife gave birth to a child. At, while all of this was happening, she was receiving the news of her father-in-law's passing, her husband's passing, her brother-in-law's passing. All of her kinsmen redeemers were, were gone just like that. And, and now she's having a child. And the Bible says that the women that were by her helping her bring forth the child came to her with these salutations. They said, fear not. Now what an admonition that is, fear not. Because there was a lot to fear. There was a lot to be worried about. Everything was blowing up in their face. Israel's future seemed absolutely bleak. And here come the, here come the midwives with a almost a song in their voice, fear not. And this was the reason they told her not to be afraid. They said, because the Lord has given you a man-child. Do you know what she named that child in her desperate moment and feeling of utter hopelessness? She named that child Ichabod. Ichabod means there is no glory. There is no glory. And, and as she named the child Ichabod, she punctuated it with this reasoning she said for the glory has departed from Israel and and this was her take on it the midwives though saw something she could not see in that moment of desperation they saw hope for the future and it was found in this little baby boy now he was just that a newborn baby boy but when they noted that this was a man-child, they came to her and said, there is hope for the future. She could not see it. She could not appreciate it. She could not receive it. And often that is the case. God gives us miracles and we underestimate them because we see them in their infant state. And we don't see what they will become with a little bit of rearing and tutelage. But we, we see what it is in the moment and we just deem it unworthy and unhelpful, and we say that there is no glory for our future. Uh, the prophet Zechariah, in helping the children of Israel to understand that the temple of the Lord was about to be rebuilt, this was a, this was a, a monumental task to try to lead the people of Israel into the reconstruction of the temple of the Lord. Often reconstruction is more challenging than construction itself because it requires the very essence of your life to build something up. And when it is torn down, it takes something outside of yourself 
to give you the strength to build it back up. This is why when you look at the miracle of Nehemiah rebuilding the wall, that is a miracle. It's one thing to build it. It's another thing to rebuild it. It's one thing to construct the temple. It's another thing to reconstruct the temple. Perhaps there's somebody here today who you have built something up only to see it dashed in pieces and you feel no strength no desire, nothing in you left to say, let's work on this, let's build it back up. That's where Israel was. But through the prophesyings of Haggai and the prophesyings of Zechariah and through the leadership of Zerubbabel and of Joshua the priest, the children of Israel began to rebuild the temple of the Lord. And it was in this context, while Zechariah was saying, when the headstone is brought forth, cry, grace, grace unto it. It was in this context that Zechariah said, it is not by might and it is not by power, but it is by his spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. It was in this context that Zechariah said, who, it was this rhetorical question, who hath despised the day of small things? The rhetorical question was loud and clear. It was no question at all. It was a statement posed, wrapped, camouflaged in the form of a question. In other words, as we have come to quote it, despise not the day of small things. But it was wrapped in a question. It was, it was simply to Put it out there that who dare despise the day of small things? Who among you would even, would even ponder the idea that just because something is small that it has no ability to grow and to develop into something greater and something that God would intend it to be? Because ladies and gentlemen, when you put God into the equation... It doesn't matter how small, it doesn't matter how little, it doesn't matter how insignificant the world may deem it. When God enters into the equation, that little thing begins to grow. And my prayer is that people would not fall into the trap of being in the midst of their depression, their desperation, the throes of their despondency, and fall into that snare of calling Ichabod what God calls hope for the future. I pray you will not think that because something from your past has been ripped from your grip that somehow there is no hope for your future. Don't say Ichabod over the miracle that God has brought into your life. It may seem small to you, but it's not small to God. Don't be like that one talented servant who looked at the five talented servant and the two talented servant and then looked at his measly old meager one talent and said, well, what good is this if everybody else has more than me? The master came back to that servant and said, oh, if you would have just Put that one talent to the exchangers. There's no telling what could have come from that one talent. I would argue that God was putting more confidence in the one talented servant than he was the five talented servant. Because he was expecting that one talented servant to do something special with very few resources. And I want you to know if what you have is small, God specializes in small. If what you have received is little, God specializes in little. Hallelujah. I 
could and I will, and we often do, quote to you the great verses of Scripture that describe the greatness of God. We like to say those things. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. Who is a rock? Save our God. And who is God? Save the Lord. We love to quote how that all power in heaven and in earth is given unto him. We love to quote about the name of the Lord is a strong tower and the righteous runneth into it and is safe. That he thundereth with the voice of his excellency. That he bindeth the waters in his garment. Hallelujah. That he stretches the north over the empty place and he hangeth the earth upon nothing. We love to describe that he is from everlasting to everlasting. That he is the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last, the all in all. He is the all together lovely. And we could go on and we could go on. But at this time of the year, it is important for us to realize that God isn't just capable of being big, but God is capable of being small. The Bible says that, that he had prepared for himself a body. And Israel, through the prophecies of these great prophets of the Old Testament, were eager to encounter Messiah in his bodily form. They were eager to meet this warrior, this champion, this one of whom it was said that he would destroy the nations that opposed them with the sword and that he would trample their lands. And when they met him, they were unwilling to, to think of him in the way that he came because he did not come with this mighty entourage as was expected. No, he came as a babe in a manger. Away in a manger, no crib for a bed. The little Lord Jesus laid down his sweet head the stars in the sky look down where he lay. The little Lord Jesus asleep on the hay. We've come to appreciate this about God. That when God entered the world, he entered the world in the most vulnerable way that a person can be. Having grandchildren has been a recent reminder to me of how, and to my wife and I, of how vulnerable and how precious and how innocent a child is. Uh, just the other day, I, I took note of our little grandson, Joel Ezra, and Alette Eden. And as we're looking at them just playing and laughing and smiling and excited, I thought, man, I wish the world was as pure and as innocent as they believe it is right now. I wish that it was just as, as, as safe a place as they, in their, in their position of life, that they would expect it to be because the truth of the matter is we live in a challenging world. But when God came into this world, he came into this world as vulnerable as vulnerable can be. He did not come in strong and mighty. He came in vulnerable and rejected by the innkeeper to begin with. His life started out with the feelings that all people experience in their lives. Being rejected, being cast aside, being pushed aside, having to deal with the alternative of what a person would expect in life. And, and this is what he came to know. And it puts us in relationship to him immediately. 
Immediately we understand that he can be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. He was small. He was little. But don't underestimate what God is doing through something so small and something so little. It wasn't just he who was little, but even the place where he was born, the Bible takes note that it too was little. He wasn't born in the great metropolitan areas of his day. He was born in a little sleepy town called Bethlehem. There was a pastor in the mid-1800s who was traveling through the Holy Land. His name was Phillips Brooks. And while he was traveling through the Holy Land, he was there during Christmas. And on Christmas Eve, he stopped in at Bethlehem. And before he entered, he looked out over that city. And I've, I've been to Bethlehem, and it is nothing remarkable. It is nothing impressive. It is a small little burg. It is shocking that, that, that this particular place would be called out by Micah the prophet. All those thousands, hundreds of years ago, when he would say, Thou Bethlehem, Ephrata, Think about the most remote area in this region and imagine somebody saying that this little small remote area is going to be the place where Messiah comes forth. You are little among the nations. These were things Micah was pointing out all the way back in his prophetic writings that you, Bethlehem, you are so small and yet God is going to bring from you the ruler of the nations. We grew up in Kokomo, Indiana and went to a little place called Swayze, Indiana. There were about 800 people in Swayze, Indiana. There were, at its, at its population boom, I think they had about 1,100 people in Swayze, Indiana. It would be like Micah saying that the Messiah was going to come out of Swayze, Indiana. Their boast is that they are the only Swayze in the whole world. There is no Swayze anywhere in the world than Swayze, Indiana. And thou, Swayze, Indiana, though you be little among the nations. I imagine it would, it would shock us and it shocked them. They didn't know what that meant. But it was notable and Micah took care to say Bethlehem is little. It is of Ephrata. As nations go, it is overlooked. It is undesired. There's nothing that can come from it. And that is really what Jesus' life depicted. In fact, it was said of him even coming from Nazareth. Coming from Nazareth, they said, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? He was constantly being challenged upon the humility of his roots, the humility of his background, and yet that is something God specializes in. The more humble it is, the more God can do with it. This is why if you will humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, God can do something great in your life. Phillips Brooks looked over that town and he said, he said these words, Oh, little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie above thy deep and dreamless sleep. The stars, silent stars go by, yet in thy dark streets shineth. The everlasting light, the hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. As he looked out over that sleepy little town, 
that has never become anything more than the place where Messiah was born. And it is the place. It was going to be the place. As a matter of fact, it was carefully noted by all the scholars and sages from that day since Micah wrote it. In fact, when wise men came from the east looking for Messiah, and the Bible says that they said, we have seen the king has come, for we have seen his star in the east. Now let me tell you something, ladies and gentlemen. Those wise men saw his star in the east. Nobody else seemed to have seen his star. People that knew about the coming of Messiah knew the time frames built into the Torah as to when he would arrive. They weren't looking for the star. But wise men from the east came looking for the star. And they said, we want to know where he is because we have come bearing gifts and we have come to worship him. And the Bible says that Herod the king was threatened by this small child. That people, dignitaries, these leaders, these, they call them magi, which is where we get our word even magician. But they weren't necessarily magicians. They were wise men. And they were coming from the east. And they were looking for the king of Israel that was to come. When Herod heard that they had come, he consulted with the chief priests of Israel and said, your king that's coming, where is he going to be born? They said, shocking as it may seem, he's going to be born in Bethlehem. I know, I know. If it would have been us, we would have picked some bigger city. We would have picked the cross section where all international trade is occurring. But that's not where he's going to be born. He's going to be born in Bethlehem. The town was little, the babe was little, everything God did was little, but what God does that's little in the hands of God, it will begin to grow and blossom. It will begin to multiply. God specializes in small. This is why he said you don't need to have the biggest amount of grace. He said my grace is sufficient for you. He said, you don't even need a lot of faith. He said, if you have faith as the grain of a mustard seed, that's enough that can move mountains and cast them into yonder place. He didn't need a whole lot to heal the woman with the issue of blood. Just a little hem on a garment would do. When he went looking for Rahab's house, he said, just hang a little red line out the window. That's all I need is a little red line to hang out the window. You don't need a whole lot when you're talking about God. All you need is God. You don't need a lot of talent. You don't need a lot of money. You don't need a lot of pedigree. You don't need a lot of resume. You don't need a lot of nothing. All you need is God. He is enough and he is worthy. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I'm telling you, you don't need a whole lot. Just use what you've got. Noah went into that ark with, the Bible says it was a few. It was eight souls. It was just a few that went into that ark. That's all he needs is a few. With a few, he can replenish the entire earth. At the cross of Jesus, it wasn't a lot of people at the cross of Jesus. It was John the Beloved. It was Jesus' mom, and it was a few ladies. But when you get to the upper room, there's 120 
people that have gathered. And then devout men out of every nation under heaven gather. And then 3,000 were added to the church that same day. And then it began to multiply exponentially. All you need is God. You don't need a lot. Just take the little town of Bethlehem. Just take the little babe that's in a manger and let God do what God is going to do. I've come to preach to somebody today who's got a little checking account. I've come to preach to somebody today who's only seeing small progress in the faith that they've been trying to exercise. I've come to preach to somebody today who feels like you can be healed, but it's very little that you have to hang your hat on. Little is all right. God specializes in little. He specializes in small. What do I have here? They said, we don't have, he said, do we have here any meat? They said, all we've got is this little kid that has five loaves and two fish. And he said, that's all I need is just a little bit. Now, you know, if we would have received that, we would have just said, guys, get serious. I need something significant to feed these multitudes. And we so many times underestimate what God has given us that we never empower it to become more than what it is right now. But when you put that little bit into the hands of the master, it has the power to multiply hallelujah if you see a little glimmer of hope don't downgrade that don't underestimate that well I've been praying for my loved one for a while but they've only come to church twice in the last year thank God for the two times they've come to church my God, don't criticize them for what they're not doing. Give God praise for what is happening. Take what little bit you can put your hand around and say, God, I'm going to give you praise. Because it might just be a babe in a manger right now. But one day he's going to walk on water. One day he's going to feed 5,000. One day. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I'm going to tell you the answer to everything is humility. The answer to everything is humility. If you will humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, he will exalt you in due season. If you will bury your face in an altar of contrition and consecration, God will take care of everything on your behalf. He will fight every battle for you. He will give you the wisdom that you need. He will give you the boldness that you need. He will move into your circumstances. Don't don't walk around arrogantly or defeatedly. Just trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Hallelujah. I remember Pastor Jimmy Lumpkin of Little Rock, Arkansas. He had a loved one who was facing severe addiction. And he went with him to, to a, a particular place to to. to for those that were seeking help and trying to live sober. And as he went into the meeting, he had never been into a meeting like this before, but as he went into the meeting, and he shares this in his testimony, 
He said, I'd never been in the meeting before, but he said around the room, people began to stand and give their name and tell how long they'd been sober. He said, one man stood up and said, hi, my name is David. And he said, I've been sober for 28 years. He said, and we all clapped because he'd been sober for 28 years. He said, uh, then a lady stood up and said, my name, is, my name is Sue. And she said, I've been sober for 15 years. And we all clapped because she'd been sober for 15 years. He said, then a guy stood up and said, my name is Robert. And I've been sober for six months. And they all clapped for Robert because he'd been sober for six months. He said, then William stood up. And William said, I've been sober for 24 hours. And he said, and we all clapped because he had been sober for 24 hours. I'm tired of the devil trying to steal little victories from us. I said I'm tired of him trying to steal little blessings from us. If you've been sober for a little while, thank God for being sober for a little while. If you'll be thankful for the little bit that God has put into your hands, that's when it starts to multiply. Uh, it'll multiply into two days and six days and 20 days and 20 years. Take it one day at a time. Take it one day at a time. Rejoice evermore. Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Live victoriously in the moment that I can have victory in God. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Notice what the scripture says. The scripture says that they will, they will smite the judge of Israel with a rod upon the cheek. This is a messianic prophecy related to the crucifixion of Christ. This is why the gospel writer takes care to point out that they smote him upon his cheek because it was a fulfillment of what the prophet Micah said would happen. And he said, you Bethlehem Ephrathah, even though the judge of Israel will be smitten with a rod upon the cheek, you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you be little among the nations, we would have never known anything about Bethlehem had Christ not been born there. It would have been some city in a faraway land that had ancient roots but no real purpose or meaning to people outside of it. But people everywhere know all about a place called Bethlehem. Even though it's little among the nations. It's not Paris. It's not Rome. It's not Tokyo. It's not any of these great cities. But it in its smallness gave birth to a babe. That babe was a body prepared for the mighty God of heaven and earth. The Lord Jehovah Jireh Shema Shalom Rofa Rohai Hallelujah this mighty God Mekadesh Sitkanu this Elyon El Shaddai Elohim the one who was and is and is to come the Almighty put himself into the body of a babe in a manger Hallelujah to let us know I can be as big as I need to be and I can go as small as I need to go. I am all in all. God is not too big for your problems. Whatever problem you have, God can enter your circumstances. He gave Noah the dimensions of the ark that would save all of the, all of the animal kingdom that he had created, all of the different species, including Noah's family. And they, it was big enough 
for that kind of a cataclysmic circumstance. And then there was a little ark that was built for Moses. The Bible said it too was an ark and it was made of bulrushes by Moses' mother, Jochebed, and she pitched it with slime and mortar. It was the same ingredients that went into Noah's ark that went into Moses' ark. And it was small. Noah's ark was big. They had two different purposes. They were facing two different challenges. One was for a whole animal kingdom and a family. Another was for a little bitty baby. But God was in the middle of both of those challenges and he's with you Emmanuel God with us I want to point out what that means God with us let's say it again God with us when we say God we're talking about God who created the heaven and the earth when we say God we're talking about the God who founded on Mount Sinai when we talk about God we're talking about God who has all power in heaven and in earth with us in the hospital room with us in the courtroom with us in the prayer room with us in loneliness with us in sickness and sadness God is with us my God my God my God I'm going to tell you, he's not just in New York City. He's not just in Los Angeles. He's not just in London. He's not just in Johannesburg. He is in Bethlehem. Oh, little, oh, little town of Bethlehem. He said there's coming a day when this one that, that will be smitten upon the cheek will come forth from Bethlehem. And the Bible says that he shall stand and feed in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall abide. For now shall he be great unto the ends of the earth. This man shall be the peace when the Assyrian shall come into our land. And the Assyrian coming into their land, and when he shall tread in our palaces, this Assyrian that came into the land is the universal reference to all of Israel's adversaries. It, it, it covers a whole region of the world and, and, and it all originated in Assyria, which was, the, which was the, really the, the birthplace of, of so many of the nations in the Middle East. And, and when the Assyrians shall come in, the Bible says that he shall stand up against the Assyrian with the sword. Now this is why Israel wanted Jesus to fight for them because Micah and other prophets talked about him using the sword against Assyria. But the Bible tells us what that sword really is. It is the sword of the Spirit. No, Jesus said, Jesus said I didn't come to bring peace alone. I came to bring the sword. But the sword he was talking about was the sword of the Spirit. In fact, we, we, we understand what the sword of the Spirit is because the Apostle Paul told us that the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. And the Bible says that when He came, when He comes in, in His fullness and He comes with ten thousands of His saints, there will be a sword issuing out of His mouth and that sword is the living Word. It is the Word of God that is coming forth from His mouth. 
The sword that the Lord uses is the word of God. The way that the Lord will destroy the Assyrian, it's not to destroy people. It's to save them. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you what's going to win this world is the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm going to tell you what's going to cast down every principality. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. We didn't come with weapons of warfare that are carnal. We came with the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And if we, listen, I'm going to tell you what's going to get rid of drug addiction, the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm going to tell you what's going to get rid of violence, the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm going to tell you what's going to get rid of perversion, the gospel of Jesus Christ. The sword he's coming with is the sword of the spirit. It's the word of God. It's by grace are you saved through faith. Hallelujah. You might say, well, wait a minute. I thought that the children of Israel waged war against all of the uh, opposing nations. You're exactly right. They sure did before Jesus came. But when Jesus showed up, he said, Peter, put up thy sword. But that's not how we're going to fight this battle. That's why you don't see any of the apostles putting on Saul's armor because we're in a new day. We're in a new covenant. We're walking in a new direction. We have the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. This is the sword that will smite the adversary. Hallelujah. That's why we go tell it on the mountain over the hills and everywhere. That's why they burned Christians at the stake. The Christians would not fight back in defense of themselves. They died lifting up the name of Jesus Christ because that's the sword of the Spirit. Stephen didn't fight back when he was being stoned. Oh, Stephen just, Stephen just received all of, that, all of that withering attack. And when he did, he looked up and saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God. That was not Jesus as a second person. That was not some kind of a trinity that he was looking at. He was looking at the symbolic reality that Jesus is alive and well. And the right hand of God is at work in the earth. And you know what happened when he didn't fight back? There was a man standing there who said, never seen it on this wise. Something different about that man. And the sword of the spirit began to work on a man named Saul, who we know as Paul. And the Assyrian was cast down. Hear what I'm telling you. This is the way that the Lord fights his battles. With the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And the Bible says that when the Assyrian comes in, in verse number five, it says that the Lord shall raise against him seven shepherds and eight principal men. Now I believe this passage in its connection to Bethlehem Ephrata, that this is a foretelling that the ones who would gather at the nativity would be shepherds and wise men. 
This is a very complicated verse. It, it, nobody has a total grip on what, it, what he's trying to say here. There's, there's a lot of things you can read into this. Some believe that the seven shepherds and the eight principal men are referring to prime ministers and defense ministers of the modern state of Israel. Uh, some people believe that this is referring to the shepherds that have existed in Israel's history. I can see that a little more plainly, that, that you have shepherds, that the Bible takes care to say there were shepherds. Abel was a shepherd. Abraham was a shepherd. Isaac and Jacob were shepherds. And Moses was a shepherd. And David was a shepherd. I don't know exactly which shepherds it was referring to. Those are probably the six most prominent. But I'll tell you who the seventh shepherd is. I don't know who all the other six were, but I'll tell you who the seventh one is. And the eight principal men, we could go through the eight principal men. Those, the Bible says wisdom is the principal thing. And this word principal refers to leaders of men. You could talk about Joseph being a prince. You could talk about Joshua being a prince. You could talk about Solomon being a prince. You can talk about Nehemiah and about Daniel and all of the others that, that moved Israel along politically and governmentally, keeping them together as a nation. I don't know who the other principal men were, but I know who the eighth principal man was. Seven being the number of completion and eight being the number of a new beginning. What this is trying to tell us is that everything that Israel has had going for it in Abel and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and, and, and Moses and David, it's all culminating to one who is the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. One, hallelujah, who feeds in the strength of the Lord and leads them as a flock. This is why David is out watching the sheep and taking care of them and leading them through green pastures and beside still waters and, and he's refreshing them and restoring them and all of a sudden it dawns on him, oh my goodness, the Lord is my shepherd. Because everything I'm doing for this sheepfold is what the Lord does for me on a daily basis. I'm just, I'm just typifying one who is coming. Hallelujah. And these eight principal men culminate into one wise prince of peace. And so the writer Micah is saying that, that when the Assyrian comes and when the adversary comes, the seven shepherds and the eight principal men all culminating into Jesus Christ, that we stand up against the adversary knowing who we are and where we're going. We might be little we might be small. Do you know that there are 15 million Jews in the world today? Right now, there are only 15 million Jewish people in the world today. For all of their history, they have been a small and marginalized group of people that people have underestimated. But when you're walking in the covenant blessing of God... It doesn't matter how small you are, where two or three are gathered in his name, there he is in the midst of them. It doesn't matter how marginalized the world tries to make you. Listen, widow, with the two mites, throw those two mites in. Other people might underestimate it, but you have a revelation that though thou be little among the nations, what's going to come out of this experience is something that only God can do. Hallelujah. This is why when Paul would write to the churches, he would say, grace and peace be multiplied unto you. It starts out small. 
But when it starts multiplying, when it starts multiplying, hallelujah, when it starts multiplying, faith that moves mountains, hallelujah, faith that plucks up trees, glory to God. It may be small when it begins, but when that mustard seed, which is the least of all seeds, when it is grown, the birds of the air will lodge in its branches. Hallelujah. Glory to God. I wonder if there's somebody in this place right now who feels like the enemy's been trying to make you small, make you feel small. I wonder if you could lift up a praise unto God right now and say, Lord, I know what you have begun. I know what you are doing in the name of Jesus. I can hear the children of Israel right now saying we feel like grasshoppers, but it doesn't matter what you feel like and it doesn't matter what the devil tries to make you feel like. God specializes in small. Come on, somebody lift up your hands unto the Lord and lift up your voice unto him right now. Lift up your voice unto him right now. Hallelujah. 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 Stand with me if you will. Stand with me if you will. In the name of Jesus. One of the great preachers of the gospel, Brother Cliff Readout, one of the great preachers of the gospel, pastored for years in Enfield, Connecticut, and district superintendent of the great state of Connecticut. But Cliff Readout wasn't always a preacher of the gospel. At one time in his life, he was a, a warlock. He was a male witch, devil-possessed. And he believed that he had power, and that he could use that power to impose his will on people and manipulate them and get them to do what he wanted them to do. He practiced witchcraft. And some men from Calvary Tabernacle in Indianapolis witnessed to Brother Cliff Readout and said, we want you to come to our church he told them, he said, my, that his, his power, he said, was not of the devil. It was of man. That it was a superpower that man had, that, man, that any man could have. It was witchcraft. And they said, you, you need to come here, our pastor, which was our grandfather, Brother N.A. Urshan. said, you need to come here and preach. He said, I would love to do that. And he said, you know why? Because you're going to see just how powerful I am when it comes to manipulating people's thoughts. He said, he will stumble. I will impact the atmosphere of that place. And he walked into that room that day at Calvary Tabernacle in Indianapolis. And he tried to practice every ounce of witchcraft he could normally practice. But he said it was like a wall went up. And he couldn't penetrate the wall. And he began to look around the building and the wall would go up. And the people, he couldn't, he, couldn't, he couldn't connect the way he was normally used to connecting. He walked out of the building frustrated and a little afraid. And he saw a man, just some random man walking down the street. And he began to impose upon him this manipulation. And the man actually did physically stumble and fall in front of him. And, and he realized, I haven't lost what I have. But there's something in there that's greater than what I have. He came to my grandfather after the service and he said, Reverend Urshan, he said, I have a question for you. He said, your young men brought me to church. And he said, I have a particular kind of power of self that I can impose at will. 
He said, I'm a master in it. And he said, they've told me it's of the devil. He said, I believe it is of man. And some have said it's of God. What do you say? And he had him trapped. The trap that had been laid was that if he says it's of man, then proves my point. If he says it's of the devil, then he's just a fanatic like the rest. And if he says it's of God, then hallelujah. So he had him trapped. There was no right answer. My grandfather sat there for just a moment and looked back at him and he said, I'll tell you this. If you'll repent of your sins and be baptized in Jesus' name and let God fill you with the gift of the Holy Ghost, we'll see what happens to your power. He had never heard anything like that and it convicted his heart. And I know that may seem small to you, but God can take that little repentance. God can take that little act of obedience of being baptized into his name and God can fill you with the gift of the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. I know, I know. You know what the Bible says about the tongue? It says the tongue is small, but how great a matter just a little fire kindleth. I know it's little, but when you begin to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gives the utterance. Brother Cliff Readout repented of his sins, was baptized in Jesus' name, was filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost, and that witchcraft power was stripped from him, and he was filled with real power. After that, the Holy Ghost was come upon him. God has power for somebody here today. God has joy for somebody here today. God has love and peace and wisdom for somebody here today. I want somebody that's tired of the devil stealing your blessing, tired of the enemy stealing your joy. You're tired of living under the burden of never believing that God can do it for you. Throw up your hands and lift up your voice unto God all across this house. And let God do something for you today, maybe that you've never had him do before. Come on, and if he has, let him do it again. Let him do it again. Let him do it again. I'm opening these altars right now. I want somebody to come right now. I want you to bring needs. I want some shepherds and some wise men to come. In the name of Jesus. Come on, in the name of Jesus. Come on, come on, that's it, that's it, come, come. I know, I know, I know, it may seem like a small gesture. It's not, it's not, just let it grow. Let it grow. Let it multiply. Let God get a hold of you and do something special right here, right now. Hallelujah, but you don't know how big my problems are. You don't know how large the mountain is that I'm facing. Come on, bring it, bring it, bring it to God. It starts small. It starts small, but when God gets done, hallelujah, it may start as a little rock, but when it is grown, <laughs> it's a mountain that will fill the whole earth with the glory of God. Hallelujah. I want somebody to bring some big struggles. Hallelujah. Come on, bring some big challenges. Bring the big stuff right now. Come on, I want you to bring the stuff that only God can do. Bring that sickness that only God can heal. Bring that healing of a relationship that only God can heal. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Oh, there is a sweet. 
There is a stillness in the atmosphere. In the hear me right now I want you to know how small it can be and still be of God listen to me some of you all you have the only hope you have is the word you just heard that's all you need you don't need things to change right now just grab a hold of the word just get the word just grab a hold of the word the one word you don't need you don't need your feelings to shift at the moment don't, don't wait. Don't wait for the feelings to shift. Don't wait for the symptoms to subside. Don't for, wait for the relationships to get better. Just get a hold of the one word. That's, it's little, I know. It's a still, small voice. But it's from God, and it's all you need to let it begin to grow. It's under tutors and governors until the time appointed. Come on, let it grow. Let it grow. Let it grow. Let it, let it grow. Let it be shepherded into something beautiful. Right now, somebody reach out and grab a hold of the word and say, this is for me. I'm claiming it. I'm claiming it for me. I'm claiming it for me. In the name of Jesus, come on, all across this building, somebody reach up and grab that word and say, I'm claiming it for me. It's for my family. It's for my heart. It's for my body. It's for my mind. I'm getting a hold of the word of God today.
That's it. Thank him right now. Thank you for what he's doing right now. Thank you for what he's doing right now. There's healing happening right now. There's healing and deliverance happening right now. He shut the time. There is healing and deliverance happening right now. In the name of Jesus, there is healing and there is deliverance happening right now. Hallelujah.